We're nearing the end of a series that we are calling Make Way. Uh, and today, uh, before we go and continue the message in regards to that series, I just want to welcome all of you from Quakertown. I know you joined us when we did our announcement and we commissioned Dave, uh, but we didn't say hello to you, so I just want to say hello to you and miss you guys over there as well. And so we're looking at this series called Make Way, and in this series we're taking a look at different kings, first in the United Kingdom of Israel, and then as we got to last week, we got to when the kingdom splits into Israel and Judah. And so we looked at Saul, and we looked at David and Solomon, and they were the kings over the United Kingdom. And then we got to a point where Charles talked about Jeroboam and Rehoboam and how they split the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And the thing that we need to know about these kings is that there were good kings, there were bad kings, but all of them had faults, flaws, and imperfections, and all of them had failures. And what we need to understand is that all these faults, flaws, and failures are answered in Jesus. You see, all of these kings end up pointing to the one true king of kings, Jesus. And so as we look at that, and as we look at this group of kings, we need to understand that some of them do well, many of them do poorly. But each one points to the king of kings that would come. Each one, if you will, makes way for Jesus. Today we're going to talk about one of the good kings. You know, I said that the kingdom split. And when the kingdom splits, we look at the kingdom of Israel, and there's really no good kings in that list as we go on through the rest of that history and the account. There's really one who has kind of like a mixed one, but most of them are bad. In Judah, there's some that are good and some that are bad. Well, today we're going to look at the first one who's actually called good in the Bible. The first one that is actually looked at and is said, he did right in the eyes of the Lord. Today we're going to look at Asa. Asa is the grandson of Rehoboam. He is the son of Abijah. Now, under those two kings, under Asa's dad and his grandfather, the kingdom of Judah just plummets. They go into like this spiral spiritually. They begin to worship idols. They begin to worship false gods. They begin to do all of this stuff that God is not happy with. Asa enters into the scene. And under Asa, things go differently. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, let us know. We'd love for you to have one. We believe that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth. So whether you're online or here in Southerton or at our Quakertown campus, we want you to let us know. We'd love to get a Bible to you. Well, we're going to be looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at a term of something that happens under Asa. The first thing we need to know about Asa, verse 4, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. Under Asa, there was this spiritual reformation that happened in Judah. Under Asa, the people began to seek the Lord. They began to turn away from all these idols, all of this false worship, and began to seek the Lord. Under Asa, not only is there a spiritual revival, but the kingdom is physically re-fortified. We don't read of these kind of spiritual reformations, these things in the kingdom of Judah, much in their history of their kings. There's actually only five kings that this happens with. It happens with Josiah. It happens with Hezekiah. It happens with Joash, Jehoshaphat, and Asa. Asa is the first one that this happens under. 
Asa not only does this spiritual revival, he not only does this physical refortification of Judah, but he lasts longer than all but two other kings. Manasseh and Uzziah are the only two kings who last longer than Asa. He has a pretty good resume. And it all starts with this concept of seeking the Lord. This concept of seeking the Lord actually shows up nine times in the three chapters of Asa. That, uh, in Second Chronicles that talk about Asa. It shows up nine times. Now, the thing about seeking the Lord that you need to understand, it's not like God was playing hide and seek. It's not like they were like, come out, come out wherever you are. And they're like, there you are. We found you. That's not what is happening. The word that is used for seek is actually a word that is closer used for full allegiance, followed by obedience. When we talk about seeking the Lord, what we're talking about is the people returning to a covenant of full allegiance and full obedience to their God. And it is a covenant that God initiated throughout the Old Testament. In fact, if we were to go back to Solomon, when the kingdom was still united, Solomon is king and he builds this temple. He builds this temple for God and God is pleased. And then God says something interesting. He promises something to them. to to the people, and he makes this covenant, but he also tells them what they are to do. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says this, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. This is exactly what happened to the kingdom of Judah under Asa. The people began to seek God. They began to seek the Lord. And God heals the land. And there is peace and there is rest. And there is prosperity under King Asa. And so the first thing that Asa does, the first lesson we learn from Asa, is the importance of seeking the Lord, of renewing that commitment to God, renewing that commitment and being fully obedient to him. The second thing that happens is that Asa is faced with something to test that commitment. Asa is faced with something that has the potential to shake all of that up. You see, they go through a period of time where things are peaceful. They go through a period of time where things are restful. But one morning, Asa wakes up, and there's a country marching towards Judah. There's a country with, the Bible describes, an army of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of warriors. And Asa sees this army coming towards him. Asa sees this enemy marching towards him. And he recognizes that his abilities, his resources, his skill sets are not enough for this obstacle coming towards him. What does he do? What does he do when everything around him seems to be falling apart? What does he do when he faces an impossible situation? A couple of weeks ago, the Giants played the Eagles. If you don't know, I'm a Giants fan. Now, we will not do any trash talking today, mainly because both teams stink. 
At this point, the only thing we have to root for is for the Cowboys to lose. That's it. So here's what happens. Ben Hartramp, who's one of our young adults here at Calvary Church and part of our Bridge Disabilities Ministry, has been trash-talking me like crazy. And he's been wanting to watch the Eagles-Giants game like crazy. So we decided to go to Buffalo Wild Wings to watch the Eagles-Giants game. Let me explain something to you. Going with Ben Hartramp to watch a game at Buffalo Wild Wings was an experience like none other. If you've never met Ben, just wait, you will. I go into Buffalo Wild Wings. Everyone knows Ben. He begins to lead the entire restaurant in the Fly Eagles Fly song when they score a touchdown. Let me just tell you right now, they weren't singing at the end of the game. But I digress that one. One of the commercial breaks comes on, and Ben starts to talk to me, and he goes, he starts asking me about Calvary Church. He starts asking me about leadership. He starts asking me about where's Calvary going, and all these really deep questions I wasn't expecting to answer at a football game. And so I begin to answer him, and I begin to talk about Charles J. and I, and we talk about what we're planning and what we're doing and all the different things we're experimenting on and all the different kind of programs we're coming up with and all these different things that we'd like to do for the future. And Ben's listening to me, and he's starting to pay attention, and I think he's paying attention, but then he just interrupts me halfway through. And I'm talking, in mid-sentence, he goes, you know what I would do? And I was like, I thought this was about what I would do, but okay. What would you do? And Ben just looks at me and goes, I would pray. Three words, I would pray, and it hit me in the gut with just this profound impact. The simplicity and profoundness of those words were amazing, because the reality of the matter is that Charles J. and I, we do pray. We pray individually for Calvary Church. We pray together for Calvary Church. But at times, I don't know about Charles and Jay. I can just talk to you about myself. At times, I don't realize how powerful that foundation of prayer is, and I begin to start focusing on my own failures or my own successes. I begin to focus on my own skill sets, my own resources, and I begin to forget about the importance of that foundation of prayer. The answer simply is to lay that foundation. What did Ben say to me? I would pray. I would pray. And here's the amazing thing about that Calvary Church. I don't know if you knew this, but Calvary Church has a heritage of prayer. I told you that Dave and I actually worked in children's ministries. When I was hired, I actually was hired to start Family Fusion, which was a, a kid and parent service up in the second floor. And we were going through one of our anniversaries. I think it was the 60th anniversary of Calvary Church, and we were doing something on heritage. And so they sent me to the attic. Did you know we have an attic? I didn't know, but they sent me to the attic. You know who sent me? Deb Barlow sent me to the attic. And she said, there's going to be a box in there. And so I go in there, and I find this box. And in this box are a bunch of bulletins. In this box are a bunch of notes. In this box are a bunch of just different things from when we first started Calvary Church. And do you know what I read in those letters? Do you know what I read in those notes? Do you know what I read in those bulletins? Over and over and over again, it said, we prayed and then we did. We prayed and then we did. We prayed and then we did. We have a foundation, a heritage of prayer. In Calvary Church, we need to continue that heritage as we move on to whatever God has next for us. Let's lay a foundation of prayer. And that's exactly what Asa did in the midst of this, this overwhelming situation where he did not have enough to measure up. What does Asa do? He prays. And God shows up in a mighty way and wipes out the enemy. 
So the first thing we learn from Asa is that he calls the people of Judah to seek the Lord, to return to their covenant. The second thing we learn is that Asa prays. When he realizes that there is just not enough on his own to deal with what is coming to him, he prays. The third thing that we see in the story of Asa is that he listens. He listens. God sends a prophet named Azariah to Asa. It's the only time we ever read of Azariah in the Bible. And Azariah has a message for Asa. This is what he says. He's talking about Azariah in chapter 15, verse 2 of 2 Chronicles. He went out to meet Asa and he said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And Asa listens. And he obeys. You see, you can't separate seeking God from obedience. It always follows. Obedience always follows seeking God. And Asa obeys and he begins to just strip the kingdom of Judah of all of these idols and all of these places of worship of these false gods. In fact, what he ends up doing is a shocking thing in their culture. He strips away the queen mother. The queen mother isn't actually Asa's mother. It's actually his grandmother. But the, the Hittite culture in that day that the kingdom of Judah was existing in, that queen mother had authority. She had power. She had influence. And under her, the kingdom of Judah was really taken into a, a negative way. They were taken into this idol worship. Asa gets rid of her. And this is shocking. This is not done in his time. But Asa listens to God and obeys. And what follows next is a spiritual reformation, a spiritual revival in the kingdom of Judah like they had not seen. Asa seeks, Asa prays, and Asa listens. He seeks, he prays, and he listens, and then he stands back as God shows up in miraculous ways. But Asa also has some flaws, some failures. You see, Asa then goes into this time of prosperity, into this time of peace. And what we don't know what happened, but what we can kind of guess is that Asa kind of gets comfortable. He begins to forget about the need for God. And he begins to act self-reliant. And then something happens that takes on a different twist. The kingdom of Israel begins to build fortifications around Judah. Now this isn't even close to what happened when Asa had to pray with all those thousands and thousands of warriors marching against him. This isn't even close to that, but... Asa this time doesn't seek the Lord. Asa this time doesn't pray to God to, to come and help him. What Asa does this time is he seeks a foreign king from another country. This time, instead of praying to God, Asa bribes another king. Asa forgot his need for God. And here's the thing. He succeeds. 
he actually succeeds. And he succeeds and he protects the kingdom of Judah. And why is this important? Because although he succeeded, God was not happy. Although he succeeded, God was not pleased with what he did. And oftentimes as humans, what we end up doing is we look around us and if we see success, if we see something working well, then we think maybe that just must be that God has favor with that. But this was not what was happening. You see, it wasn't about what Asa was doing for the kingdom. It wasn't about what Asa was doing for the kingdom of Judah. It wasn't anything that Asa was doing for anyone. It was the fact that Asa wasn't doing it with someone. Look at the words again from Azariah. What does he say? What does it say in the Azariah? He says, the Lord is with you when you are with him. God's desire was for Asa to be with him. Not self-reliant. He desired him to be with him. But Asa pushes away. And he succeeds, but God shows up and tells him, this is not okay. And Asa doesn't learn his lesson. In fact, the Bible goes on in these these chapters, and it talks about how Asa gets a foot disease, just a foot disease. And it talks about, I I don't even understand why it puts these in, sometimes the Bible puts in these small details that are just so fascinating. Asa gets this foot disease, and the Bible goes out of its way to say, and Asa didn't even seek the Lord about his feet. All he did was rely on the doctors. Now, I'm not saying that doctors are a problem. That's not what the Bible is saying either. God gave us doctors. God gave us medicine. God gave us that science. The problem isn't the presence of the doctors. The problem is the absence of God. That's the problem. The problem wasn't that there was a presence of doctors. The problem was that God was nowhere to be found. Asa was not with him. Asa, who had been the praying king, ends up stepping into the role of the foolish king. And Jesus talks about this topic in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus says in verse 4, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What God desires from us is for us to be with him to remain in him, to remain in Jesus. That's what God desires for us. It's not enough to be a church that just does a lot of things for God. It's not enough for me to be a pastor that does a lot of things for God. I have to be with God. I have to be with God. We are to continue what Jesus started with him. With him. We do this as we seek God. We do this as we pray to God. We do this as we listen to God. Rinse and repeat. Because there's going to be times when we will be foolish, just like Asa. There will be times when we might need a reminder from an Eagles fan in Buffalo Wild Wings. At those times, we repent, we just rinse 
and repeat. Seek, pray, listen. Let's be that kind of church. Let's be a church that doesn't just do things on our own or do a lot of things for God. But let's be a church that is honest about our own skill sets and our own abilities and realize that we can do nothing apart from him and that everything we do is with him. And then let's stand back in awe as we see our mighty and marvelous God show up in ways that we've never seen him show up before. Seek, pray, listen, rinse, and repeat. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that there are times in our lives where we think we can do it on our own. Where we think that somehow we have it all figured out, our own skill sets, our own talents, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, something hits us that we weren't expecting. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a marriage that begins to fall apart or a child who seems to be going their own way. Lord, I ask you that you would give us hearts that desire you so much that we would seek you above anything else. That you would give us hearts that desire to pray and build a foundation of prayer in our lives. And that when you tell us what you desire from us, we will listen and obey. Lord, we set before you us, our church. And we ask you to do something amazing, not for our sake, but for your glory, so that people around us will hear the truth of the gospel and that countless lives will be changed because of it. We pray this in the name of the King of Kings. We pray this in the name of Jesus.